before we get to the movies themselves, the titles, you have been going to the movies. You've been going to the theater. I went to one. I went to one movie. You went to one. Um, how was that experience? Well, excuse me while I chew my <laughs> energy bar. So there I was at the AMC. And I thought, well, it's opening day. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a madhouse. I got you know the first spot, the coveted spot right by the door mm-hmm. that I've always, that's never been available. And I went in, and there were three other people in the whole building who had shown up. And the lady in front of me proclaimed to the ticket taker, it's my birthday. Do I get anything? Oh my God. And I said, well, if you join our club, well, what, what does that cost? You know, they're the right. only ones in the whole place. Yikes. And like, well, if you get the lowest tier, you know, you just get our emails. It doesn't cost anything. Oh, let's do it. Meanwhile, wow. another person runs up trying to get me checked in from my app because, of course, I've got my seat reserved. Mm-hmm. And so... None of the clickers work. They can't get any of the computers to turn on. The whole place has clearly been dead for 10 months before just like an hour ago. They just this is re- in the actual auditorium or this is in the lobby? This is in the lobby. Okay. And uh, she can't get it figured out. So finally, the one clicker thing that's working is over at the station of the woman who's helping the birthday girl. And so she brings me over there and she clicks my thing. Oh, magic. A thing shoots out of the receipt thing. So I get my ticket handed to me in paper and the other woman gets her ticket handed to her on paper. And then we both go and we try to get our drinks. Mine was pre-ordered. So it was just a cup sitting on a counter with my name scrawled on it. And they only had one drink machine open and it was only spewing soda water. They didn't have any syrup. So I got my soda water and I headed into the theater and me and that woman both had a ticket for the same seat in the empty theater. Jeez. And if that so, just isn't a picture of like going back to the movies with social right. distancing, that you're the only two in the building <laughs> and a crowded theater, both yeah. trying to get the same damn seat that neither of you care about. <laughs> wow. On her birthday. So well-oiled machine. They got it going, but it did start on time and the movie did play. Great. And I got out of there because I didn't want to have like a, the awkward Mm -hmm. stop and chat with the stranger Mm -hmm. from the other end of the theater who I fought over a seat and won, by the way, I got that seat on her birthday. Nice. (laughs) Wow. Did you both select it online or was it, were you assigned? Well, what happened was I selected mine on, on my, on my phone. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't pay attention to the piece of paper I was handed. And since that woman beeped me at the same time, that this woman's ticket was being printed out, two paper tickets came out, and they handed her mine and my and me hers. Oh wow! But I didn't look at the piece of paper because I yeah. had my app in my hand. Right. So she had my piece of paper. Wow. Okay. And well, so I told her she needed to go down to D ten right now. Right. <laughs> sure. And she didn't. She like went somewhere in E. Oh boy. I know. She, from the look of the app, because I'm considering going, if especially if it's going to be that, you know, unpopulated, I might go see Nomadland on Wednesday. But oh, um, what? Yeah. How is it's it? There. I mean, I guess it's February already, huh? Yeah. But uh, I see that when you select a seat, they automatically put a little buffer around you. They do. Uh, that's not quite enough for the six feet, but it's something. 
I wish they could always. I wish I could just have that. <laughs> just have a, that. Pay for a tier of AMC stubs. Where... Are they doing it where you can rent out the whole theater? Yeah, I saw that as well. Oh, just do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe for a movie that's probably going to be as good as as Nomadland, right? But uh, not for Fast Nine. Um, yeah. So the movies are back, I guess, sort of squeamishly. Yeah. I almost went to another one, but then I decided, why bother myself? Mm-hmm. I was going to go to Fatal. Have you heard of that? No. Starring Hilary Swank. Looks okay. kind of like a sexy thriller. All right. But I didn't. And now I'm going away this weekend, so I probably won't see something until maybe yeah. even next week. Well, in lieu of the theater, and I've wanted to talk about this, but I just never... I know you're not really a tech head, and so, and we always have so many movies to talk about, so I won't go on long about it, but I got a 4K TV, which I've already mentioned, Um, but I kind of have just been messing with upgrading, you know, movies that I think deserve it to 4K, Mm -hmm. uh, using the Voodoo service, which uh, used to kind of be a disaster, and now seems to work really well, and um, I don't know, I was not prepared for what a change 4K is from regular HD. Hmm. And how it's not just like a little brighter and sharper and a few more million colors or whatever, but the entire sense of like motion, because you don't really, you kind of lose the frame rate. And that's the kind, that's the thing I didn't like about it at first is that film my entire life from projection to VHS to DVD to Blu-ray has been 24 frames a second, had a certain look, the way things blur mm-hmm. when the move, camera moves and all that stuff. And I don't know if the, if you're even aware of those kind of things. Shireen is the kind of person who doesn't know the difference between videotape and film and whatever. If it's a picture, it's a picture. But I've always been like very sensitive to types of media and I can recognize what I'm looking at usually. But with 4K, there really is no frame rate. Like There's a frame rate, but it's high. It's like 60 frames a second. So right. there's a very weird... It's like when you go see those high frame rate projections you lose that sense of film and you almost feel like you're watching extremely high quality video and i didn't like that at first because it just doesn't look like film but i'm kind of getting used to it and watching um it really makes you feel like stupid i can't think of a, of a, a less dumb way to say that it makes you feel like you're right there with the people in the film and i don't always like that and sometimes i do anyway um, I don't know if any of that is of interest to you, but that's been an interesting journey for me. It'd be interesting if I got myself a 4K TV. Would you recommend it? I would if you care and if you're going to actually use it. I mean, if you're going to get a bigger TV, I would just go 4K anyway. It's probably going to come with the, you know, if you ever upgrade your TV or whatever, or maybe you already have a huge TV. I don't know. But um, no, it's certainly... I've got a small TV that was given to me by a friend who didn't like how the speakers buzz constantly. Oh, <laughs> so so now that's your that's what I've got. That's your burden to bear. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, I would recommend it. Um, because uh, it, it doesn't. It's really not that much more expensive now. The technology's right. become pretty standard. So, um, yeah. And I've just been surprised how well things stream in 4K as well, because you can uh, most services. Netflix is the only one you have to pay a little more to get it to stream in 4K. The other mm-hmm. ones, Disney Plus, will just detect that you have a 4K TV, and so all these animated movies and all these Marvel and Star Wars things 
are just automatically streaming in 4K, which saves me a lot of money. And uh, it's a lot of fun. What about like Simpsons Season 2? Now, legacy content is um, only if you turn on the HDR effect. It's not going to actually add resolution to something old that never had it. So The Simpsons Season 2 is always going to look like The Simpsons Season 2. You can get some of that motion, but it looks off. It doesn't look right. Right. So I would just kind of disable that and, you know, use a a standard setting to watch that kind of stuff. How do I disable it? Uh, there's like a very, at least on the one I have, and from what I understand that they've standardized it a little bit. So Mm -hmm. you have like one button where you can cycle through the, um, because that's a huge problem is people get HD TVs and they come preset to make things look a certain way in the store. And usually that way is like shit Mm -hmm. because it's extra bright and it's extra, you know, it looks like a, like a, like a TV sports broadcast. Like everything is extra bright and like vibrant and so they, um, but there was some kind of movement among directors, I guess, spearheaded by, uh, I don't know if it was um, Brian Johnson, I think, to add a filmmaker mode and like a cinema mode to the, mm-hmm. so you could like have a setting that filmmakers agree is the right setting for movies. Now, of course, you still have to switch it to that when you get the TV. But um, yeah, so the, uh, they've made it a little easier. You don't have to dive into a bunch of menus to, uh, to tweak that stuff. Dan, much more interesting and, and pertinent and and switching over to your area of expertise. Award season is upon us. It's true. We had a couple big dumps of just uh, Golden Globes and SAGs and Critics', Critics Choice just today. I am aware that it's happening, but I'm kind of out of the loop. So is any, I mean, it's obviously going to be one of the weirdest award seasons ever. It is because it's all out of order. And I was hearing on a podcast and this was kind of interested me that like, PGA, DGA, all those big important bodies are announcing right around the time of Oscar ballot cutoff, meaning that they're not really going to be influencing the Oscar nominations too much. Hmm. So we could end up with completely different crop at DGA, PGA, but it is kind of getting whittled down here. So Trial of the Chicago 7 is Twitter's favorite movie. Everybody loves it. And it's Weird. what everyone is backing for the win. Mm. And it shows up in all the right places, both at Globes and SAG. It's got everything it needs. Um, Nomadland, to me, is the one that has been the front runner the longest. And it could continue to be. I think uh, Chloe Zhao has best director in the bag at this point. Um, but whether or not the film gets best picture, who knows? Um, to Five Bloods has either come in real strong or been completely off. Delroy Lindo, surprisingly, has not been on any major best actor list, which kind of shocks mm. me. Yeah. Um, Minari has come in really, really well um, with Stephen Yoon. And uh, I really don't know the name of the supporting actress, which is um, my, my bad. Uh, but also for directing and screenplay. And it's looking good. Sound of Metal is doing better than people thought. Mank either real real heavy or absent <laughs> with Amanda Seyfried uh, missing at SAG. That's not a not a death blow, but it's surprising that we didn't see mm-hmm. her there. Um, One Night in Miami, people really like uh, Regina King's direction of that. Um, Ma Rainey, I feel like has underperformed, still has its acting stuff going on. Um, Promising Young Woman has done better with uh, getting directing and screenplay nods in addition to picture. Um, that makes me think that Carrie Mulligan will pull through um, with Best Actress. Wow. 
And I met Jared Leto (laughs) showing up both at the Globes and at SAG. Why? Mm, Why? Why? I know he's he's already had his day and then some in this performance, which we're going to get into it, I guess, tonight. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's like it is a stock award performance, I guess. I think that people just dislike him. I think that film Twitter resents his Oscar win for playing a Mm. trans woman really not all that long ago in what today would be an unthinkable casting and performance. And I think that people feel embarrassed about that, so they need to put him down at every turn. Meanwhile, they love to show Christopher Plummer with his Oscar playing for playing a gay man. They're all good with that because he's Christopher Plummer. I think they're a bunch of hypocrites. Okay. For me, it's just uh, I like Jared Leto when he's good. He's good. He's just it's people love to um, people love the pretentiousness of a method man. Of a, yeah, you know, he's kind of like a he's kind of like a, an edgy Daniel Day Lewis, but uh, you know. Uh, all right, Daniel. I'm sure you'll keep us abreast of the news of the award season as we go along. Only nominations so far. Um, we have a lot to talk about. I think we both watched a lot of stuff. Yep. Some of it different, some of it the same. I'm realizing, we'll get this out of the way, I did talk about personal history of David Copperfield. I gave it a little spiel. Have you caught, if you've caught up with it, you can give your two cents. Otherwise, we'll move on. Yeah, I'll just give my quick two cents. Um, So I am not familiar with the novel, so I found myself a little lost for the first half of it, maybe, of understanding what is source material and what is innovation in the screenplay. Obviously, it's a real contemporary take on this tale. Um, In the end, I found the strangeness kind of melted away and I was sort of delighted by it. I liked the characters and the world that it created. And I almost wish that I was seeing it on on stage instead of film. It almost seemed like something that's part of my season ticket subscription that I'm not excited to go see. But then it sort of charms me with its wit and humor and and uh, breaking of the fourth fourth wall. Mm -hmm. And. And in the end, I enjoyed it. I wasn't moved by it, but I thought it was charming. Yeah, it has a manic kind of fun to it. I think Iannucci's a very interesting, I was going to say choice. It was his choice. It was his passion project. Mm -hmm. He chose to do it, and I'm glad he did. I think there's way too much story. It's a huge novel shoved into a a movie that I believe is under two hours, or just barely two hours. So it felt insane by the end when when all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're feeling last you're feeling epilogue vibes and suddenly where's emily and she left with this guy and you know they're on a ship and they rush all the story beats at the end that are not directly about david copperfield but uh yeah no it's a lot of a lot of fun unexpectedly kind of freewheeling and and uh the cast is a hoot yeah i thought it was kind of like wes anderson does dickens Mm in in a sort of a way and when they talk about the colorblind casting, I think that's a contradiction in terms. Because if we were if it was truly colorblind casting, then we wouldn't be noticing everyone's ethnicity as they entered the screen. Right. Such a strange thing. But I yeah. mean, people can play whomever, but when you're making such obvious choices mm-hmm. to create the diversity that way, then it's not blind, it's very intentional. Right. Yeah. 
I think people are uncomfortable with intentional stuff like that. So everyone, it's like the, uh, oh, I don't see color of, you know, like uh, movie analysis is. Um, right. But we do. That's the whole point. Right. That right. we notice it with every new character's introduction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And bold of him to do that. But again, uncomfortable probably to talk about it right out and mm-hmm. be like, yeah, I, I did this because I wanted to say this. Maybe it was maybe it literally just uh, this is my favorite actor. Right. Of this age and, and disposition. You know. I mean, maybe, but I doubt yeah. it. Yeah. It's a good way to get eviscerated on Twitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, but that's I think that's a recommendation from both of us. Yeah. On that movie. It's fun. It's good. Worth watching. Then there is, okay, we're really late on this one, but, uh, and this is Twitter's other favorite movie, is In and of Itself, or as IMDb Mm. is calling it, Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself. Uh, And this is a film directed by Frank Oz, a great Muppeteer and director who I was in the same room with at a test screening one time and could have spoken Mm. to, but chose not to because I'm afraid. Um, He what do you think this, Derek uh, Delgadio would say about that? Oh, I'm sure he would, his lip would quiver and he'd be silent for 45 seconds and then he would say something very profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so this was a live performance. I think he did, it originated in LA and then it went to Off-Broadway, I'm assuming, in New York. And uh, then it was filmed by Frank Oz over several nights. I think many, many performances were filmed as indicated by the edit mm-hmm. of the of the special and it's really it's a it's a magic comedy special yeah but it's so heavy in its subject matter and weighty in its themes and and intensity that it's you know it's a lot of people consider this to be a life-changing work uh it's kind of him looking at his life it it takes questions of identity he uses a parable about a um uh i've already forgotten it's been so long since i saw it now what's the word that he calls himself the uh I don't know. It sounds like roulette. Uh, the roulettino. Like the, the roulettier or something. The roulettier, yeah. And uh, he uses this uh, parable about Russian roulette to um, talk about identity and, and talk about him, how he came to grips with his identity, talks about his childhood, some moving stories. Um, I'll get into some more specific reactions to it, but it, it culminates in a very uh, – moving although for reasons i can't necessarily put my finger on but a very moving stunt where he essentially just stands and looks every audience member in the eyes and identifies them uh because everyone who comes into the show has an opportunity to grab a card and say i am this i'm a traveler i'm a friend i'm a whatever some of them are silly some of them are serious and i guess his trick his parlor trick is that he somehow by the end of the show has all of them memorized Mm mm-hmm uh, and uh, that it's extraordinary. I'm still kind of tossing it around in my head. But Dan, what did you think of in and of itself? I really enjoyed it. I I think it's exquisitely crafted. I think it stands on its own as a play or one man show, even apart from the illusions, which are great. He's he's good at all of that. I love how he hinges it on this parable and how even the way the set's constructed, it kind of looks like the barrel of a gun. Like which of these identity forming stories are going to be the one that gets me in the head <laughs> you know the one that that either forms my that forms my identity defines me or even kills me and in the end finding his way free of that um that in a sense 
he's so much more, but in seeing these very personal pieces of who we are, we get the biggest glimpse into someone's humanity. That's the irony to me that I am this or I am that. Um, to see someone as a father or child or a sister or friend or a neighbor, just that one piece of their identity somehow unlocks more of the fullness of who they are as a stranger to us. I, I thought it was just uh, an amazing watch. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it was an extremely special production and one of those films that uh, captures something of of you know, the magic of what it was like to, to be there. Um. Some of the stuff, I mean, I, I guess I have a, not the best, uh, I'm not personally into magic or close-up magic or cards. And so some of the like extremely serious stuff about learning to be, you know, a wolf with the cards and people pulling guns on him. I was like, wow, okay. I, um, it, it came close to losing me a little bit with some of that stuff, but his vulnerability and the, the personal stories and uh, the childhood stories and then the way he brings it all together in the, in the last, um, you know, p- uh, passages of the, sh- of the performance is, it's remarkable. I see what everybody's on about. Yeah, that's great. Um, fantastic. Well, I'm kind of leading things here with my list. If you have anything that you saw that's, I sent you the list ahead of time, but if you have anything else you want to interject with, the next thing I saw was the little things. All right, so you lead with that, and I'll take a look at the list you sent, okay. and I'll plan on taking the next one. Oh, okay. White Tiger's next, if that's if you want to do that. Great. So, okay. Uh, all right, The Little Things. Now, we're this one, because of our every other week thing, we're kind of a little bit late on things. I think this one's still pretty fresh. People still talking about this one. I imagine this would have been one uh, major theatrical release if we were in normal times but instead we get it on hbo max i guess also in theaters but um this of course is a 2021 crime drama thriller film directed by and written by john lee hancock uh who is known for his work on the blind side and saving mr banks and the rookie and the highwaymen he uh has become kind of a journeyman writer director and uh this stars denzel washington as joe deke deacon uh who through the very uh slow and uh uh unhurried unfurling of the story in, in this film we learn used to be a sheriff in la used to be a detective in la and then now is a sheriff uh, up uh, in, uh, I think, Northern California, somewhere near Bakersfield. And uh, slowly we learn things happened that caused him to leave the, uh, the his job in L.A. He was divorced and he finds himself in this kind of quiet existence in this small, boring kind of jurisdiction up north. Uh, he has to take some evidence to L.A. And when he does so, he runs into some of his old colleagues. He also... Uh, gets the opportunity to observe the detective who has kind of taken his place, Jim Baxter, played by Rami Malek. And uh, to uh, long story short, essentially finds himself tagging along in a uh, investigation in the, the aftermath of a case that ends up being connected to, uh, potentially connected to a case that he worked back in his heyday. Uh, we get 
um, it seems at first I kind of assumed we were going for a competitive relationship with uh, Malik and Washington. They end up kind of being buds and learning weird things from each other. And then things get intense when they get on the trail of Albert Sparma, played by Jared Leto, who is a uh, troubled local repairman who may or may not have a uh, sick and dark and violent secret life. Lots of other stuff happens. Uh, Natalis, Natalie Morales, sorry, Natalie Morales is uh, in there. And um, uh, Michael Hyatt, is that how you say her name? It's spelled Michael. Maybe it's something yes. else. Okay. She's uh, very memorable as the, uh, I want to say mortician. She's not a mortician. She's the a coroner. A coroner. Thank you very much. Uh, I am sputtering here. This movie is big and important and slow and crimey. Uh, it's weird. I, Dan, found this movie to be intriguing because it's intrinsically intriguing because Denzel Washington can like wake up unprepared and do a performance like this masterfully yes. and carry a movie. And I feel like that might be what he did here. And I love watching him. He's great. He's perfect for a part like this. But I just don't think the material is necessarily worth elevating. I was frustrated with this movie. Um, it seemed to be weaving a kind of a crime thriller that was going to go somewhere potentially dark and disturbing. And in the end, uh, we can get into it if you want, Dan. But I just kind of found it confusing and disappointing. And uh, I did not think there was a whole lot going on in the little things. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's not to say that I didn't enjoy myself watching it. I felt like it's such, just such a throwback to movies like this in the 90s. And we're not surprised to learn that it was written back then right. and and languished till now for whatever reason. And you're right about Denzel Washington. He shows you how it's done. He shows you how to do one of these movies because he did how many of them right. back in the day that he can walk in and knows how to bring this material that really makes no sense into real life. Someone who doesn't know how to do that is Rami Malek, <laughs> yeah. who I don't dislike Rami Malek like Film Twitter does, sure. but I I was perplexed at his character, wondering, is Rami Malek this much of a weirdo? Is this just how he is as a person, or is he trying to bring this to the character? I I didn't get that. Like Even from the opening moments where he's trying to tow Washington's car, I'm like, what are right. you? You're setting yourself up to be like a bully and a villain and you know, the the white collar boy, wonder child. And then we need more Oscar winners. We need Jared Leto playing this person who's disturbed and maybe he's the killer, but maybe not, but probably, but we don't know. He he doesn't, not, there was nothing true about his performance either. Yet I liked it better than I like Rami Malek's. Mm -hmm. All in all, it kept my attention. I wanted to see what was going to happen. I think there were some plot holes, some things that I would need to rewatch if I cared enough to figure out why they happened. The last act where, why in the world would he get in that guy's car? Why Why would he go out and trust him? Yeah. Why would he do, why, why? It did, that didn't make any sense. Yeah. And then we're left just in a field full of holes of plot and earth. Right. And we don't get answers in the end. I, I saw the the Brett missing on the thing, you know, from a mile yeah. away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This the movie wants to be 
a roller coaster, a thriller roller coaster of suspicion and intrigue. And is this, you know, is Denzel Washington a sicko? There's even some material in there where you think maybe he's gone over the deep end. Right. Because of what he does, he goes and gets the most disgusting, cheapest, uh, you know, hourly rate motel room he can get and puts pictures of dead girls up on the wall. And there's some conversations with Malik. And like you say, Malik's characters all over the place. Is he sick? Is he just green? The characters, I feel like it wants you to a good movie like this would keep you guessing about the character's motivation. Right. This movie just doesn't know how to do that. So it just plays with them in random ways. The guy who plays the first suspect, mm-hmm. the younger guy, I remember him playing like the only sincere guest spot on Strangers with Candy. Hmm. And I like him as an actor. There's 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 a sincerity in him. Frederick think, Kohler is his name. Yeah. He was on he was a child actor on Kate and Alley back in the day. Hmm. And I feel like what if he had had Jared Leto's part and had played it like he played his scene? That would have been a lot more human than watching uh, an Oscar winner try to play a psycho, right? Which is what that performance yeah, was yeah. to me. And again, I just am being critical because I'm being critical. But why? Because right. I enjoyed the journey. I was intrigued by it. I liked watching it and and picking it apart in my mind. It's nothing yeah. nothing wrong with sitting through it. Yeah. Um. I just also again. I watch things, especially things that are dense like this, and especially when you have a steady hand like Denzel Washington to kind of make it wash down smooth. I have to say I did not have these thoughts while watching it. But then after Mm -hmm. the fact, I heard someone point out, essentially, the message of this movie is sometimes cops have to frame somebody to make things right. Mm -hmm. And that feels like the worst possible like, you, I guess you could earn an ending like that, but I, I don't feel like this movie does. And that's a really, like, ugly sentiment at this particular moment in history to show, you know, because all you have to do is kind of remix some of the identities of, of people in this movie. Right. And it would be, oh, God, it would be unthinkable. But right. And um, then it almost seems cynically intentional the way it was cast. Mm-hmm. So as to avoid that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you a movie that does it well is L.A. Confidential. That's the whole thing. Right. Is that, you know, Guy Pierce is feeling um, conflicted about the possibility of having to do just this in order to advance in his career. And then he ends up doing it in the end for all the right reasons. Right. And yeah. And so there there we go. Right. That isn't set up until the end in this movie that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And I felt that was after the journey of this movie, forget about morality and right and wrong. It just didn't, I found that so unsatisfying. Yeah. That last scene where Rami Malik is sitting by the pool and his daughters are like kind of frozen, mm-hmm. robotically staring at him. It was so right. weird. I'm like, what is happening? And what <laughs> happened in his house? Like clearly his wife is yeah. upset, but she hasn't articulated what's happened or what's wrong. And I guess he is just now so concerned for his daughters because he doesn't know if this killer is still out there. I guess that's what he's tearing yeah. himself up about. And so what now he can be at peace, right. I guess. And it's based on a lie. So that's really, yeah, I guess it's supposed to be a twilight zone ending. I don't, it's, it's weird. It's a weird movie. Yeah. Worth, worth watching for the performances. If you're interested yeah. in, in that sort of thing, it's, you could do worse, but. Right, it, we needed more '90s stars, honestly. Yeah, 
you know, if Sandra Bullock could have played the Rami Malek character, right? I could have, I could have gone there. That actually, that one change would have made probably the whole movie play a lot better. Yeah. Um, all right. Very uh, interesting. All right. Um, White Tiger. White Tiger. What a bizarre movie this was. Yeah. 2021 American Indian drama film written and directed by Ramin Barani. And it stars Adarsh Gurav in his first leading role. Now, here we have the story of this young man in India. He lives a hard life in a village with corrupt, I don't know, mobsters, basically. And he finds his way to become the driver of a prominent family. And he gets involved in their life. And they... Um, go back and forth in sort of helping him get a leg up and then using him for their own purposes and abusing him until he finally finds his way up and out. But has he really moved past their uh, their ethics and their bad power systems? We're not really sure by the end. I'll, I'm just going to leave my plot summary there that's not a very good summary but uh what did you think of this yeah i thought that well i think it's a a wildly uh entertaining movie i'm fascinated by what it's about kind of a very 21st century update on caste you know caste Mm -hmm. disparity in politics in india now how things are changing perceptions of america that i thought was an amusing aspect of this film and the story uh, so I, I guess I would say it this way. I am on board politically, I guess is probably not the right word, but I'm on board thematically with what this movie's about, mm-hmm. even though it's quite uh, intense and quite severe. Um, I think the the lead actor is a winning guy. Yeah, I really enjoyed great. his performance. But his character, even though he's in a sympathetic position, I found him kind of awful. Yeah. Um, he, he, he does horrible things, although you understand why sort of it, it's a very weird movie in that way where you don't feel like you're being invited to judge what's going on. You're just experiencing it. You're just, you know, this is the kind of the chaos of the of the reality of another world. And you're just kind of getting a glimpse and hearing a story that that defines the times. So uh, I, it's a clever movie. I like the ca- the, the cast. I like um I, I thought it was interesting, the portrayal of kind of the sympathetic, progressive, uh, you know, rich, uh, upper class Indians who then, but maybe they're not quite as progressive as they seem when the, you know, when things get shaky. Uh, I found all of that fascinating. I simply didn't, I I didn't feel like I could root for the character in a traditional kind of way for Balram, but uh, I just admired, I guess I admired the movie very much. Yeah, I feel, I felt like I could root for him in an anti-hero sort of way. I thought the, the the film earned that for me. I feel he was trapped and he was trying to make the best of what happens when you're trapped. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I felt mostly okay with him until the end. I guess I'm um, talking about the end mostly because I felt yeah, that way through most of the movie. Yeah. yeah like, like you're saying. I, I think the movie's one fundamental weakness is... It didn't surprise me to discover this is an adaptation of a novel, but I think they should have omitted the narration and omitted the knowledge of the character's inner life because the performance is so good 
that we can see what's going on or we can sense what he's thinking. We can sense his motivation. I feel like the narration was even explaining the action when it didn't need to be explained a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. When he's in that train station and he looks up and he's like talking about, oh, these are the birds, not in the coop. Oh, look, free birds. And I'm like, yes, we get it. Birds in cages. It's a major theme. We've seen it for the last hour and a half. Right. So that in your moment of flight, you look up at the train station ceiling and you see a bunch of birds that live free. We get it. Well done. That that was good. You don't need to tell us. And so I feel like I would have rather have observed this character, especially when the performance is so good mm-hmm. and made come to my own conclusions about his motivations and leave some of that to the mystery. That would have made it even more intriguing, I think. And then by the time you get to the end, it's kind of a gut punch that this person who we really felt for trying to make their way through this trap that he was living in, once he gets out of it, is he really all that much better to the people now below him than the way he was treated? Where he's saying, well, I mean, I don't beat my workers, (laughs) you know, look, look at me. I, I'm, I've, I've moved on. I've had my consciousness raised. Right. Um, and I, I just thought he was monstrous in the end. And to me, the last shot is just a new chicken coop where he is the one outside of it instead of in it. And I think that's powerful and strong. I just think it was really undone by the over narration. Hmm, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see all that. I feel, yeah, it's like um, there's this, it's almost like there's this, modern type of revolution going on and but in the end it feels like the void that's left by the chaos and the and the coup is is filled by capitalism right which kind of allows him to just be a new brand of monster who tells himself that he's better than what used to be there but there's just all this bureaucracy and infrastructure now built to to that's going to create this new kind of caste division yeah it's um mm. it's unsettling and i think it's supposed to be it it's uh it's not a it's not a it's not a story of like rags to riches the way that you would oh it's the anti-slum dog yeah right and he even there's even a line in the movie about that i believe oh really he says oh, there's like a yeah like he says there is no game show he made a game show reference which was clearly oh. a slum dog sly little slum dog crack i've anyway. got nothing original to add <laughs> all right uh that's the white tiger it's on netflix it's better than tiger king so uh, i mean it's different than tiger king different than tiger king how about um tiger tail where do we stand on that versus white tiger i remember that i watched what a lot of tiger content on Netflix. yeah i remember that i watched tiger tail and i remember liking it yeah i don't remember a thing about it it's the uh, the dad coming from China to live with his daughter, but yeah. Anyway, um, oh. the white tiger, right? Wasn't it? Or am I thinking of yet another? Well, probably I'm right. Pretty sure. All right, I've got two more titles on my list. What is that? Sound right to you? Yep. The dig is next. Shall Go we dig it. in? The dig. Oh, I searched for dig in. <laughs> That's different. <laughs> All right. The Dig is a 2021. Uh, we're, we're staying on Netflix. 
It's a biography drama history film directed by Simon Stone, written by Moira, Moira Buffini, based on the novel by John Preston. I went in completely blind. I did not know that this was a historical movie about the Sutton Who archaeological mm. dig. I literally just saw the the thing on Netflix and saw people talking about this being, you know, a prestige movie, and I watched it. So it was a this is a strange journey when you do that. If I had just known that it was kind of a BBC style historical fiction telling the story that hasn't been told, I might have watched it differently because I thought it was going to be a relationship movie. And I thought that it was the strange older man and the young lady and, mm-hmm. and the, you know, the, this tension, they even play up this weird tension between yeah. them. Um, Ray, Ray Fiennes is who I'm talking about is the older gentleman. He plays Basil Brown, who is an archeologist um, who comes to dig on the land of a wealthy lady, uh, widowed um, lady uh, and I, I'm not saying lady, like a female person. I mean, she's a lady. She's mm-hmm. She owns land in England. She's upper class. And uh, her husband has died, and she has a young son played by... Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? I'm looking at the list. Is he Robert? Is he Archie Barnes, I believe, is the actor's name. And uh, anyway, so this kind of eccentric archaeologist with a real cartoony Cockney accent comes to work for... Uh, Lady Pretty, Edith Pretty, played by Carrie Mulligan of Promising Young Woman fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, a strange relationship develops between them. It's a little distant and cold at first. And then uh, they really seem to be getting along. It gets to the point where she invites him to dinner. But then his wife shows up from, uh, what is he, he's from Ireland or, or, uh, I don't know. I don't know where he's from. Some other part of the not from that far away if they can cycle there. Uh, That's true. I guess that's correct. Anyway, I'm watching the movie with that relationship as right. at the center, and I'm thinking this is the movie I'm watching, and maybe there'll be some romance, or maybe they'll come to it's, a, it's about a platonic whatever. I don't know. Halfway through the movie, the uh, he discovers something incredible of like some kind of Anglo-Saxon Viking ship in her land, and the uh, London Archaeological Society, the London Museum, the British Museum, whatever, comes and takes over the dig. A whole slew of new characters come in and the movie completely changes what it's about. We have unhappy newlyweds. We have uh, Billy Flynn from Emma as a photographer. We have, uh, you know, the the um, crotchety director of the museum and all these characters come in together and uh the movie just kind of gets busier and we have a few subplots that are rushed in in the last half and then it it ends and it's a a a very what nice beautifully shot movie very traditional telling of the story from all angles and uh, i liked watching it and i'll probably forget about it and never think about it again but uh there it is what do you think dan so traditional (laughs) yeah like yeah. along the lines of like an enchanted April, Carrie Mulligan, if you didn't know better, you'd think she's one of those English actresses right. who who just plays these boring roles. Mm-hmm. But it's really all the more amazing that she can pull out something like Promising Young Woman and this. I'm like, oh boy, what a yeah. talent. What a talent. Mm-hmm. Probably took a, as much talent, if not more, to be so boring as in this right. as in this movie. So yeah, I like you went in completely dry, cold. Is that what's the word? And dry, dry, yeah, yeah, you know, just not knowing. And I sort of thought that it was going to be uh, the about this unspoken longing between the two people who share a common interest in digging up the past. 
and of course it's so much more than that and it takes off when some other characters finally show up the, the stakes never feel very high um the mm-hmm. war always looms i like that that the planes are coming over and world mm-hmm. war ii is going to wake is going to break out any second i think what it means to be at war means something different in europe particularly in england during this time um who had experienced the first great war and all of its casualty and um carnage and now moving into another one that would turn out to be so much worse i think that the I appreciated how the uh, mixed orientation couple was presented. That they just gave hints; they didn't knock you over the head with it. I think it's homophobia that he didn't get a sex scene along with her, right. because clearly there was one happening. And just what they think we don't want to see, we did. And in the end, they yeah. dig up this thing, and then they make it kind of feels like, oh, he didn't get the credit he was due, and not until such and such a time was his name even put next to this because we've right. righted this historical wrong. Who cares? Like, we don't. We sure don't care on this his side of history. Like, maybe he cared, but mm-hmm. the idea that him getting credit is somehow meaningful beyond just that he deserved credit, so give it to him, that would have been meaningful for him. But this isn't like, let's give Alan Turing his due because he cracked the Nazi code and everyone's forgotten about him and he saved everybody's life. This guy dug up something that was, you know, centuries old and just his name didn't go on the nameplate in the museum until more recently. Mm -hmm. And so we tell this whole meandering story. So the people go, Oh yes. Clapping and crying. Right. Yeah. The effort of getting into the, the, romance and relationship drama of the people who were working on the dig yeah i guess they had to do something because there was no con you know what i was thinking for the first act at first i don't know 40 minutes or more of this was like i've often tried to explain to kids how conflict is so important in a plot Mm -hmm. and how there's just no story without a conflict it's just not a thing if we want to dig a hole and then we go and dig a hole and everyone's pleased that's not a story Mm mm-hmm that's why there's no happy stories in the news. And but boy, is not what that seemed what this movie was for a good bit of it, a story with no conflict. Right. You know, also, I thought that with the uh, the subplot with Lily James and Ben Chaplin as the Piggins, mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought that was a little, talking about how traditional this movie is, mm-hmm. um, that plot line is told completely from her point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd think completely. that in 2021, a movie would want to at least give you a little bit from both sides i know they're rushing this in at the last you know third of the movie but right. he, he's just he's almost a villain because he's just like this cold and first of all how long have they been married and this never came up it seems they like it, the it, they seem like they are newlyweds to me yeah right yeah i get yeah they'd have to be i suppose but she's so sweet and lovable and he's just kind of fidgety and cold it was like such a weird way to for now it's how i would have expected if this movie was made in you know the 80s right how that would have been portrayed. But anyway, the di- I mean, the difference is that in real life, the idea that she would have been like, you know what, this just can't work. I've just, you're not going to be happy. You know, let's just, let's just in this world where I have no one to take care of me and I can't have my own bank account. Why don't you just go your own way? You know, right, right. You, you go do this. I'd rather just um, yeah. have a night of passion on right. the stones with this guy before he goes off to war and dies. <laughs> and I hope there's life for me after this. Right. I, I sure do. I mean, that. come on. Right. Yeah. Find your happy. Yeah, right. In right. World War II, <laughs> right London. Here. Yeah, you find your happy. Yeah. Um, 
So if you like very British movies and you like to kind of count off the, oh, there's that British person and that British person. And I recognize Seeing people in heavy faces. wool on pouring down rain. Yeah. Knee deep in mud, if you enjoy that. Yeah. Uh, an odd movie. I, you know, I guess people, if it sounds interesting to you, you'll probably have a nice time with it. But you're a weird person <laughs> because it's very, I don't know, it's, it is what it is. All right. Mm-hmm. That's the take. Uh, then, did you have a chance to watch Bliss? I sure did. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, let's I go sure for it then. did. Bliss, 2021 <laughs> American science fiction drama uh, film. Okay. Released five days late on February 5th because this sure is a January release if I ever watched one. <laughs> it stars Owen Real Wilson. Serenity vibes. <laughs> yeah. Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek. The tagline is Chase Something Real. Okay. What? That's not what this is about at all. So we've got Owen Wilson, and he's living in this ha- working in this hapless corporation that's the customer service line where everyone just apologizes constantly, and he's not doing well enough. He's distracted, and so he's going to be fired. But instead, he like kills his boss by accident, and nobody's discovered it yet. So he goes across the street to the bar, not sure what to do next, and he comes across Salma Hayek, who what discovers he's real, but no, she knows him. We find out, but it doesn't seem like it at the time. And she, in a matrixy sort of way, helps him escape. And she lives under the highway. But really, it's not her real life. This is all fake. It's all a simulation. You know? You know? And she takes these crystals. Meanwhile, he has an estranged wife. And he has children who love him. His daughter, who's graduating, what, from high school or college. She is worried about what's going on with her dad because it seems like he's abandoned his whole life. What we come to discover, and I don't think this is a spoiler, is that they're not in real life. They really are in a simulation. We're led to believe that uh, Salma Hayek is a scientist, and she has wanted to create this simulation, like a matrixy thing that is miserable, that people can go into so that when they're able to exit it and come back to the real world, which is utopia, by the way, they can appreciate the utopia because Owen Wilson, who actually is her husband in the utopia, he just doesn't remember it. He has become something of a complainer. And so she wants to send him to a life that's truly awful so that he will appreciate it when he comes back. But the one thing he just can't let go of is his image of his daughter. She has to be real, right? She can't be part of the simulation. I know her. She's real. And so that makes him want to keep going back to to the shitty existence. And boy, do we get lost and we feel and we know we're in like an allegory and a metaphor. It reminded me a lot of mother in points because mm-hmm. everything's representing something else and things are just going wild and crazy. And there are just wars and strife in the streets and in the art yes. galleries. And <laughs> what was this about? Is this a, an allegory on drug use? That was kind of where I started to go with it, where right. he's losing days and months and he just wants more of this whatever it is that brings him into a blissful state that takes him away from real life. And that blissful state tries to start saying, no, this is real. This is uh, why all that other shit makes you appreciate us and come back to us, even though it causes your destruction. What, what, what did you think of bliss? So, all right. (laughs) Uh, There's this scene in the star Wars holiday special where, which is just a very, poorly crammed together series of like variety show i believe we've watched it together at one point um and one of at one point they show this this scene in this bar with b arthur 
that in the Star Wars cantina with all these monsters. And then to, to transition back into the main story, they have this forced narration that says, we show you these scenes as a cautionary tale so that you will appreciate law and order and goodness when you, for having been to this mm-hmm. unsavory place. That's basically where this movie lands right. on its concept. It's sci-fi. Con- and that does, that makes no sense to me. I watched this blind, just like the dig. I just saw the thing come up on Amazon. It, I, Owen Wilson and Salma Hayek are still enough for me to be like, okay, that's interesting. I don't know. It was like, it's been a while since I saw either of these actors. This movie belongs in the mid 2000s. Yes. Right. So I completely blind and I, I'm like you, I started going along with it and I was like, by, I don't know, maybe a third of the way in. Oh, substance abuse addict. Right. uh, Analog parallel parable. That's what's happening. But then it gets so in, like I had already had enough where I get it. And then it goes deeper and deeper and doubles and triples and quadruples down to where they're coming out of some, you know, they have these tubes with tendrils up their nose and the Mm -hmm. brain tank. And then they're in this other reality and Bill Nye is there. And then it goes completely ape shit. Like, like mother, those scenes really did remind me of mother when they're at the gala or whatever and everything's crazy and people are fighting. Um, And I'm like, okay, and so then I see after the fact, I'm trying to deal with it and make sense of it. And people are calling it a, a um, simulation thriller. So is the idea that it really is a sci-fi thriller about the fact that we're living in a simulation? Because I didn't, it does, it, it's, it's not successful as either a substance abuse um, metaphor or a science fiction thrill. It's trying to be both, I guess, and and keep you guessing. It's trying to be, I get that, but it just doesn't have the like the sure hand of, of Terry Gilliam doing something like 12 monkeys, which has that kind of, you don't know what reality is, but it's just kind of entertaining throughout. I, I, right. I, I guess I, I enjoyed the ride. It's It's bonkers. Oh yeah. But I don't have any, any concrete takeaways of any kind. It's so derivative. It it takes so much from the Matrix, yeah. That I can't, I, I can't excuse it. It doesn't do an, enough new, yeah. And I feel bad saying this, but I love Salma Hayek. She's yeah. great, and I don't think she's right for this character, or the character's just not written well. She, her performance isn't bad. She's great. No, she's I'm just saying, I her type of person. What is this character? Yeah, I don't buy her as the scientist, and I don't buy her as a street lady. She seems you know what I mean? too. Yeah, she seems too smart to be playing a person who's either this deranged or this dumb, really. Right. And I'm not saying I wouldn't buy her as a scientist, but I don't know that I buy her as the the scientist she is in this movie. Anyway, this. Yeah, I mean, it really comes close to serenity levels of of WTF in, yeah. in terms of it doesn't really have the any concrete revelations at least serenity tells you what's going on eventually right uh but um yeah i don't know it's it's only an hour and 43 minutes it's crazy if you like mind bending science fiction movies even when they fail kind of spectacularly maybe check it out the last show that i saw in a theater before covid was actually an original musical called bliss oh Oh, were you excited that this was an adaptation? Oh, it wasn't. It sure wasn't an adaptation. (laughs) I don't know how this would be adapted for the stage. The one that I saw was about princesses. Oh. And they have the opportunity to go dip in the waters to make themselves kind of like the perfect Disney princess when really 
all they needed to be for the prince to love them was themselves. Wow. <laughs> that, hey, I'm there right with it. I enjoyed that. I actually enjoyed that musical. Uh, so much cannot be said for the film bliss, apparently. Yeah, I, I was lost by the end. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's our list. I think that's our show. I might get to see Nomadland this week, Dan. Maybe you Ooh. should check the app, see if maybe. Yeah, I'll try to get into Nomadland. And I, I did see News of the World. I'll talk about that next time. Oh, yes. Okay. I'll try to catch up on that. Hopefully, it's been out long enough. Maybe it'll go to the, the, the $6 rental yeah. instead of the 20 all right. Um, that's been our show. We're Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. Our show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. I don't know why I tell you that because the account has not posted in the, over a month. No. Uh, I'll catch up on it. I, I'll try. No, you won't. Uh, it's true. To. I will not. Um, but anyway, our music's by Jonah Rapino. This is the show. You're listening to it, but now it's over. Uh, see you next time. Bye. Bye.